Well, good morning, everybody. We, uh, we're going to start today, and I forgot to, uh, mea culpa on the handout, um, I forgot to blank out the two verses that are the memory verses, so if you could take your handout and flip it over to the back side, so that the big font systematic theology at the top is flipped over, facing down, and uh, I've got a variety of stuff to give away this morning, so who's got today's memory verse memorized and can stand up and say it? Go. Go, Darla. Excellent use of the King James there. Come on up. Who else has got it? She would probably say, you want me to keep going, right? Yeah. Anybody else? I got a wide variety this morning. Who else? Yep, stand up. Let's say it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Excellent. Good job. Come on up. Bible verses for Awana. Oh, okay. She was really happy that she got to do a Bible verse like mine. Oh, well, there you go. She got to quiz me on it. So. That's cool. <laughs> very, very good. Anybody else? I have like six or seven more things to give away, so I was ready this morning. First timers. First timers, that works. If you want to stand up and say it, go for it. On, no? Bud. Go, bud. Go, bud. Go, bud. Uh, no. <laughs> I'll kick him in the butt. <laughs> Anybody else? Going once, going twice. In his, in his, in his law. Law. Excellent. Very good. Come on up. Wow. So this, this. This is substitutionary atonement, if you ever wanted to know what that phrase meant. That's what it is, right there. And there was somebody else. Miss Christian, do you want to say it? Yeah? Wow. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Right. But his delight is in word. Law. Law, yeah. There you go. That'll work. Good job. Come on up. That'll work. Anybody else? It's big. That's why I picked it. <laughs> Anybody else? Anybody else? Going? Going? All right. Abby, you'll read it? No, not read it. This is about... Losing weight. I, I was going to ask you if you wanted to lose weight. I, I didn't look like to me like you did. So, And God help you if you were to bring that home. So, No weight gaining plans? No. This, this is the one you want. There you go. Excellent. Miss Abby. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, yes. nor stands in the path of the sinner, nor, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but in his delight, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, yep. and in his law he meditates day and night. Excellent. Good job. 
Come on up. So I was taught Bible verses with, uh, if, if you saw me uh, making different motions and changing my position, I was taught Bible verses by an extremely animated kindergarten teacher. Um, so that's how we learned those. So anybody else? I still have more. Yes. Okay, no problem. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scorn. Yep. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. It is. And in his law does he meditate day and night. Excellent. Thank you very much. Good job. Good. I just finished one book, so I'm ready for another. Awesome. So, have you read this one? Yes, I have. Good. Have you read this one? I would like a book review. A book review. Yes. Two sentences. That's all I need. Two sentences. Two sentences. That's a book that. review. Does that work? Cool. Anybody else? No? All right. Well, let's open up our Bibles. If you've got your Bible, let's go to Exodus 31.18. We're going to start there. And as you're turning, today is week two of the Doctrine of the Word of God. We're going to be looking at the canon of Scripture. The canon of Scripture. Now, this is not a bad joke that talks about how powerful God's Word is, and it's like a cannon that shoots out and destroys enemies. That's not what we're talking about. Canon is a technical theological term, and Grudem defines it in your first blank here, is the canon, C-A-N-O-N, of Scripture is the list of all books that belong in the Bible. So the, the, question, the question that we're going to be answering today is what belongs and what doesn't belong. So you may or may not have ever thought about this before, but how do we decide on those books? And how do we decide that there were other things that we don't include? So we're going to be going uh, through that question today. Now, the basis for this is Exodus 31.18. So if you think about all the written documentation in the history of the world, okay, all of the written documentation in the history of the world, there was something that was written with the literal finger of God. What was that? The Ten Commandments. And that's what Exodus 31.18 says. It says, And when he had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. So God doesn't need a pencil. God doesn't need a pen. He just needs a rock. And he's good to go. He etches with his finger into the rock. Um, So... There shouldn't be, and this is my presupposition, this is our starting point this morning, there shouldn't be any debate for us that the physical writings of God himself should be part of the canon of Scripture. Would would we agree that, that the actual writing that God did is, in fact, the written Word of God? I think we can make, safely make that assumption. Okay, great. So what we're going to do now, now that we've got that nugget, We've got these two tablets. We're going to start bolting things onto it. What else does God say is equivalent to that? And we're going to build and build and build and build and build and build and build until we get to that document that you either have physically or electronically in front of you, the whole text of the Scripture. And that's what today's class is about. All right? So let's take a look. So next is Deuteronomy 31. So flip over to Deuteronomy 31 for me.
<clears throat> now, there are a lot of verses that talk about, there are a lot, a lot of verses, and we're not, we don't have time today. We, I'm not sure we would have time if we started right now and finished at noon to look at all of the verses where God told someone, write this down. This is important. Remember this. This is important. So we flip to Deuteronomy 31. Let's look at verses 24, 25, and 26. It says, So it was when Moses had, completing, had completed writing the words of this law. So what is this law referring to? What is this law? When we think about the law. We talked about the Ten Commandments just a minute ago. What phrase is used to describe certain books of the Bible? The law is the first five books of the Bible. So that's what? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Yes. So when Moses had completing writing the word, completed writing the words of this law in a book. So who wrote the first five? Moses. Was Moses there for all of the events of the first five? No. How do we explain this? Who was there? God was there. That helps, right? So we have a connecting thread through those first five. So perhaps the person that was there could communicate to the person who wasn't what went on so that we have a good record of what actually happened. Does this make sense? This is what we do in any court of law today because there are 12 people that weren't there and a judge that wasn't there, and we ask a witness whose testimony is truthful, to state on their honor that what they are going to say is true. And this is what the Holy Spirit of God did for Moses, for the law, especially for those things that he was not there for. Because Moses obviously was not in the Garden of Eden when Eve bit the fruit and handed it to her husband there and heard the word. He's like, oh, that's how that happened. Cool. That's great. He wasn't there. He was told about that. So... We have the record of the law because he was told. So verse 25, that Moses commanded the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Now, what was in the Ark of the Covenant? The Ten Commandments, right? What else? There's some manna in there. And Aaron's staff that budded. So, so Moses says, take this book. It would have been rather large volumes of scrolls at that point, because Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Take this book of the law and put it where? Beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. Watch this, guys. What do you do with things that are equal? They're side by side. Right? In Moses' mind, in the man who talked with God, who God told him what happened, the words that God told him, and the thing that God physically wrote on were side by side. Okay? So we've taken the actual tablets that God wrote on, and we've added to that the words of the Lord. Not man's words, the words of the Lord. Okay? Does this make sense so far? All right, so let's keep going. Because that only gets us through five books. We've got 61 more to go. Okay? And we're not going to do this with every single one because Bud's already thinking about going to sleep. So, all right. I love you, man. Now you're reminded why you missed a few, right? Okay. All right. So Moses eventually what? Moses eventually dies. This is a problem because if Moses is going to write the whole Bible, there's stuff that happens afterward that he didn't see, and okay, this could be a problem. So Joshua, verse 24, 
uh, chapter 24, verse 26 says, Then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. So it sounds like Joshua had access, which he did, to the actual writings of Moses. And he scrolled to the end. I've been waiting all week to say that. So he goes to the end. Sorry. For those of you visiting, it's, just, it's not going to get better. It's just the end of the way it is. Um, and he writes in this book of the law. Now, this is a problem. This is a real problem. Because in the book of the law itself, in Deuteronomy 4, God said to Moses, You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it. Hmm. Okay. So if God told Moses not to add to what's going on here, what did Joshua think? Joshua thought those words that God told him were on par with what God told Moses. Because Joshua was actually around for some of that stuff that God told Moses. He saw it. He was his personal aide, his assistant. He was, fetch me that picture, right? And, thank you, at least somebody got it. And so we've added on again, right? We've added on again. We've added on again. And you know what the whole Old Testament is? The whole Old Testament is God telling someone, write this down because it's beneficial for now and it'll be beneficial for later. So let's look at a couple of those. 1 Samuel 10.25. says, Then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. Now, in the law... In what we know, Moses knew that was the word of God is a specific law about prophets and about somebody who said that what they said was true and from God and what would happen to them if it wasn't true and if it wasn't from God. Anybody remember that? We actually touched on this last week just a bit. What happens to them? They get stoned. Yes. Right. And this is, this is bad. Okay. But that's even bad these days, yes. Uh, but this was... Oh, we need to do that these days. Uh, no, we're not under the law, so that's good. Um, this could be a very busy time for whoever's in charge of stoning if we had to do that. Um, but if, if anything that you prophesied ever, ever did not come to pass, you were to be stoned. Kind of a high bar, okay? Kind of a high bar. I don't know what you do for a living, but if the first error that you make at your job, you die, would you be careful at your job? <coughs> uh, right. We, we, most of us would, yeah. All right. He lasted a whole week. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah. You know, the audit committee would need to be massive. To, it was just, it's awful. It's awful. So, First Samuel, then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of the royalty and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. Second, I'm just going to read through some of these real quick. Second Chronicles 20, verse 34. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, first and the last, indeed they are written in the book of Jehu, the son of Hanani, which is mentioned in the book of the kings of Israel. So we're adding on. We're adding on. Second Chronicles 32, 32. Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and his goodness, indeed, Indeed, they are written in the vision of Isaiah the prophet. So we're adding on to Isaiah. 
Jeremiah 30, verses 1 and 2. Y'all flip there. This is a good I, I like these two. These are two of my favorite in this whole Old Testament section. Jeremiah 30, verses 1 and 2. says, the word that came to Jeremiah from who? From bad manna the day before? Nope. No, nope. from the Lord. This word came from the Lord, saying, thus speaks the Lord God of Israel, saying, write in a book for who? For yourself, right? For yourself, how many of the words? 74% of the words, right? <coughs> 91, 93, 98.6, 99, 99.8. How many? All. All the words. All the words. Because every word of God is valuable. And this is a theme that's over and over and over and over again in the Old Testament. Write this down. Write this down. And every one of these guys that claimed to speak for God knew the law and knew that if anything they wrote down didn't come to pass, it was death. That's going to filter out the crazies, guys. Because we have this thing called freedom of speech in America where anybody can jump up and say anything they want to. And that doesn't filter out the crazies. That encourages the crazies, right? Because you can jump up and say, Thus saith the Lord, the world's going to end on this day. And when that day comes and passes, guess what? Oh, we miscalculated. (laughs) Right? There's no penalty. If that happened in the Old Testament, game over. Little red X's over the eyes. Done. That's it. Okay? So the bar was incredibly high. So that's what's in. So let's talk about what's not in. Some of you, does anybody have a a hard copy of the King James Version of the Bible with them today? Anybody? Yes, you do? Can you look in between Malachi and Matthew for me? In between Malachi and Matthew. And tell me how many pages are in between Malachi and Matthew. Just the New Testament page. It says, hey, we're making a change, right? This was the old, now we're going to the new. And sometimes it'll say, oh, by the way, the words of Jesus are in red. Uh, Thanks for reading. Please keep going, right? Congratulations on making it this far. You should keep going because the best is yet to come, right? Yes, there you go. How many pages do you have in between Malachi and Matthew? Uh, Just Just that that page that says we're making a transition, right? Subject references. Subject references, fantastic. Not helpful at all. All right, so uh, there's a... Two words that are on your handout in between the Old Testament section and the New Testament section. Anybody want to take a stab at how to pronounce one of those two words? The, right? That's the easy part. (laughs) Apocrypha. The Apocrypha. So let's talk about the Apocrypha for just a second. Because if you go into certain uh, bookstores, you can actually buy a copy of the Apocrypha. Um, The Apocrypha is a list of uh, 12, 13 books, depending upon which version of that you even get. And it is a list of <clears throat> excuse me, what uh, Protestants would call non-canonical works. Okay? So if the canon is, this is the works that are supposed to be 
included in the Bible. Non-canonical would be the works that are not included in the Bible. There you go. This is extremely complicated stuff right here. Okay? So you ask, well, why would we not include this in the Bible? So let's fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus and the apostles in the New Testament quote what we call the Old Testament just under 300 times. This is a lot. That's why you really need to be familiar with the Old Testament to understand the New Testament because it's pointing back. Pointing back to something that was pointing toward Jesus. It's to help understand all those little connections. You may have seen this picture on Facebook, but it's... um, uh, this looks like a rainbows and all these rainbows and it's all the connections between the different parts of the Bible and it's amazing because there's thousands of them. There's thousands of references from this part to this part and this part to this part. Well, in the New Testament, guess how many references there are to the Apocrypha as being uh, the Word of God? Zero. Okay, so that's one strike. Second strike is there's actually several errors in some of these books. I'll give you some examples. Um, the book of Judith. So if anybody has the name of Judith, you have a book named after you, it's not canonical, so don't get excited. All right? Uh, Judith and Tobit, they contain historical, chronological, and geographical errors. So this is here, and it's actually way over there. That's going to be a problem, okay? Because God knows where he is, and he knows where his creation is. So that's a problem. Ecclesiasticus, not Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiasticus, and the wisdom of Solomon... Um, they talk about a morality that's based on expediency. Okay? So, if it's fast and easy, then yes, that's right. Wait, wait. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, that, that's all. Thank you, exactly, right? <laughs> your, your face was just, oh, no, that's not right. That's almost the opposite of right. This is just radically incorrect. Um, Ecclesiasticus teaches that the giving of alms makes atonement for sin. We're, 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 we're going to get there. Oh, we're going to get there. Um, in Baruch, it says that God hears the prayers of the dead. First Maccabees, again, historical and geographical errors. So when did the Apocrypha become part of canon for certain uh, denominations? 1546 at the Council of Trent, where the Roman Catholic Church officially declared the Apocrypha to be part of the canon with the exception of First and Second Esdras and the Prayer of Manasseh, because they are like way, way out there. Um, now, also at this uh, church council is when the teachings of Martin Luther were declared to be heresy. Because Martin Luther called him on the carpet said, Hey, I went back and read the original, and what we're teaching doesn't line up with the original. So we've got a problem. So you go and you find additional works, and you include them in canon, Problem solved. Now, the Catholic Church will tell you that from the beginning of Christianity that these books were considered to be part of the canon of Scripture. Not true. My best Samuel Alito. Um, Nothing? Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm trying, guys. I'm really trying. Some of this is a little dry, so we're trying to spice it up a little. Um, the, The problem with that is that Jerome, anybody know who Jerome was? This is not the guy you work with. It's not that Jerome. It's old school Jerome. Anybody know who Jerome was? Jerome wrote something specifically. What did Jerome write? Anybody know? Something in Latin. 
the Vulgate, yes, the common translation. This is what uh, the, uh, the church for an extremely long period of time used as the source of truth for canon. Jerome included them in his work, but said they were helpful, but not canonical. Okay? So because they were included in the work, and because somebody skipped that first page where Jerome was des- describing what's in the work, people said, oh, this is all good stuff. We should include this. Which is why when the King James Version of the Bible was printed in 1611, guess what it had in between Malachi and Matthew? It had the Apocrypha in there. Absolutely. With a note that said, note, these are not canonical. They're helpful. They give additional historical perspective for this time period. And they do. There's a lot of really neat stuff. I would strongly encourage you to go read it. And it'll take you about 10 minutes to go, yep, this didn't, God didn't write this. Nope, he didn't write this. So go check it out. It's actually number four on your personal application on the back side of the handout. So it's part of the homework. So um, several problems with the... the um, Apocrypha, but in summary, they have no binding authority for the thought or life of Christians today. So, let's switch to the New Testament. Now, we all ought to get this in right. Okay? The New Testament points exclusively to Jesus Christ. Points exclusively to Jesus Christ. I kind of set you up because I did say that it points to the Old Testament, but yeah, it's to Jesus Christ. It talks about His coming, His life, His death, His resurrection, His church, and His returns. Now, Once we have adequately described Jesus Christ, where He's from, what He did, how He died, how He came back, how He's coming back again, and what's going to happen next, do we need to know more about Jesus Christ if Jesus Christ is the subject of the New Testament? No, because we've got what we need. Thank you. I appreciate that. So let's take a look at a couple things. Uh, Grudem says the development of the New Testament canon begins with the writings of the apostles. Okay? Begins with the writings of the apostles. So John 14, 26. I've got it listed in your notes there. It says, but the helper, who's speaking here? Jesus is speaking, thank you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. How helpful would this be? How long did these guys walk around with Jesus? About. Somewhere around three-ish years, right? So you're going to follow somebody around for three years. You think you might miss something. Does the Bible actually record that they missed a few things? While we're going through this, they're going, I don't, I don't understand this. I don't get it. I don't see how this works. And, and Jesus kind of gives them an assurance here that there's going to be somebody that comes and helps you remember all the things I've said. Now, if I'm an apostle at this point, I don't know I'm an apostle because I don't know that word yet, but that's what they're going to call me later on. If I'm an apostle at this point, I'm feeling pretty good. Man, I've been taking a lot of notes, and my hand hurts. And you talk a lot, and you live even more. And I've seen you do some things that I don't even have the words to describe. So I'm glad somebody's going to come and help me. This is very good, right? And this is good for us. Because this means we don't have to rely on a bunch of fishermen and their writing skills. Have you met any fishermen? They're, They're fishermen for a reason. Just saying, right? Just saying. It is what it is, right? So John 16, 13, and 14. 
Next two verses there. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Which is beautiful. So not only will the Holy Spirit set, tell, these, tell these guys what Jesus said, but He's going to tell them what's going to come to. Whew. Man, I'm feeling really good about this job now. I got some help. You know, I don't know if you've ever taken a new job, but if there wasn't really good turnover when you walked into the role, anybody ever had a job where you didn't get good turnover? Where somebody just, you just kind of got dropped into a position and good luck, we'll be back next week. You ever had that? Yeah, I, I get that regularly. And there was going to be great turnover here. Great turnover. This is very calming to the apostles. So, Let's think through this just a little bit. Uh, let's go to 2 Peter 3, verse 2. Flip over there for me. So Jesus is telling them that God is going to come and tell them more words that can be bolted on to the Old Testament with equal authority. Now, the, the question is, where does the New Testament claim its canonicity? You can spell that one later. Where does the New Testament say that I am canon? It's a great question. Let's look at a couple of those. Well, Peter, in 2 Peter 3, 2, says that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. Now, the, the holy prophets, we've already put those into a bucket, right? And that bucket is canon, right? But you may be mindful of the words spoken before by the holy prophets and of the what? Commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Sounds like we've got equal footing there. 1 Corinthians 2.13. I'll read this one for you. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. He's saying these are God's words. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 14.37. First Corinthians fourteen thirty seven. Apparently there were people in the New Testament church that thought themselves to be prophets that spoke for God. Okay? So Paul writes this verse. If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge the things which I write to you are the Commandments of the Lord. Equal footing. Equal footing. Equal footing. So Paul is saying, I'm writing canon here, guys. What I'm writing to you is the Word of God. And then my favorite, 1 Thessalonians 2.13. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. What Paul and these apostles were preaching is the word of God, claiming equality with these other works. So, next blank here is the apostles then have authority to write words that are God's own words, equal in truth, 
and authority to the words of the Old Testament scriptures. Equal in truth, which is fantastic, right? Now, who'd we define had that authority? The who? The apostles, right? So how many apostles do we have today? Thank you for that answer. That's the correct answer. None. What was the job definition of an apostle? You had to be able to see Jesus. You had to be able to see the resurrected Christ and be able to witness that fact. That was the job description of an apostle. You didn't have to be super spiritual. You didn't have to be really awesome or amazing. You didn't have to do miracles. You had to have seen the resurrected Christ. So I ask you, how many of you have seen the resurrected Christ? Thank you very much. I appreciate that answer. That's correct. None. None of us have. So since the apostles have literally died off, we don't have the authority to do this anymore. Because God himself in Jesus Christ said that I'm going to tell the Holy Spirit to come and tell you everything that I said and did and what's going to happen in the future. He didn't say that statement to anybody else. He didn't say that to me. The Holy Spirit doesn't come to me and give me new truth to write down for all of the church. It doesn't work that way. The canon is closed. Now, there's actually a few comments in the canon about this. Um, let's look at, uh, I think, 1 Timothy. Is 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18? That and 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. Those are both in your notes, right? Yeah. Let's look at these real quickly. 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand. Isn't that nice? If you've ever struggled with your Bible study and you've been like, that's just hard. Peter thought so too. And he wrote it down. And the Holy Spirit had pity on us and knowing that some of us would struggle with this too. And he canonized it. It was wonderful. Speaking to them in all these things, which some things are hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction. Well, that's scary. As they do also the rest of the scriptures. So he's saying Paul's work is scripture just like the other things are scripture. Add it on. Rightly. Added on. 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture, for the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And those of you, if you read this in your actual physical copy of the Bible, you may see a little footnote there that references Deuteronomy 25, 4. The scripture. Nobody debates that the Old Testament law is the scripture. And the laborer is worthy of his wages. And you can search the whole Old Testament and you will not find that phrase because that phrase shows up in Luke 10 because that phrase is Scripture too. And it's beautiful. The Old Testament and the New Testament are Scripture. That's the way this works. Now, we can fast forward and talk about a whole lot of detail. Grudem then kind of puts the pause button on all the neat stuff and he grinds through about 15 pages of I can't bring myself to do it to you. I'm just going to refer back to the big book, okay? There's just a lot going on. And, and I would strong, if you want to know about all the details about the rest of these, I think that's fantastic. Go, go right at it. But flip to the very end of the book, Revelation 22. Now, Revelation 22 was literally written after all the other works of the New Testament. This is literally and figuratively at the end of the canonical period. 
So we come to Revelation 22, and this is past the trumpets and the bowls and the vials and the angels and the blood and the horses and the, the, all the bad stuff, right? We're, we're to the point now where he's literally wrapping up the book. And he says, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. So literally, he's referring to the book of Revelation. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. Side note, you don't want that. Just pick a chapter, just any chapter. You won't want to go there, especially uh, 7 through 18-ish. Just You don't want any part of those, okay? If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Don't go messing with them words. It's the redneck version of this, okay? So, it is not completely out of the realm of possibility that God put that at the very end, just as a nice little reminder. Let's look back on the whole thing. Don't go messing with them words. Okay? Don't go messing with that. Don't monkey with the words of Scripture. This is not going to work out well here. Now, in summary, though, Grudem's got another, uh, two more quotes, and then we'll go to our uh, homework. We base our confidence in the correctness of our present canon on the faithfulness of God. The beautiful thing here is that I don't have to rely on historical fact. I don't have to rely on the words of men or somebody's writings or somebody else's writings because either we believe God and we believe that He has given us everything that we need for life and godliness or we don't. It's very simple. Either we believe He has given us everything we need for life and godliness or we don't. So do you believe God has fully equipped you or do you believe that God is holding back something from us that we need? Not holding back. You read the Bible, you, you read about this God who lavishes love on us and radically gives us all of these amazing things. It's just not the way that works. So, last quote. Uh, Grudem says, The work of the early church was not to bestow divine authority or even ecclesiastical authority on some merely human writings, but rather to recognize the divinely authorized characteristics of writings that already, such, that already had such a quality. The ultimate criterion of canonicity is divine authorship, not human or ecclesiastical authority. So here's the reality, what this means. What this means is that if there's another church council that is called, if Gary and Daryl and Brian get together and they say, we're going to have a church council, and we're going to stamp another book, it's the book of Jim. He's been doing a great job. Sunday school class is going well. He's written some few things down. Some of those look really good. We're going to say that that's canon. Guess what? They can declare all they want to. That doesn't make it canon. That council of Trent, that didn't make it canon. The votes that the early church had, that didn't make it canon. It was canon because God wrote it and God said it. We can recognize it. This goes back to the God said it, I believe it, that settles it. No, God said it, that settles it. Whether we recognize it or not is quite irrelevant in that process. It's good that we can line up with that, but... That's not necessary in the process. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So we started with the finger of God, and we ended with don't mess with them words. There's a lot in the middle, and I flew very high on some of the details, and I have mentally worn you out. So thank you for engaging. A couple things there on the back side of that handout. The questions for personal application. These are really, really good this week. Very, very good. I would strongly encourage you to read through these. 
The scripture memory passage for next week is God, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. God, who at various times in various ways spoken time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds. And then our hymn, and then we're done. O Word of God Incarnate by William Walsham Howe. O Word of God Incarnate, O Wisdom from on high, O Truth unchanged, unchanging, O Light of our dark sky. We praise Thee for the radiance that from the hallowed page a lantern to our footsteps shines on from age to age. The church from her dear master received the divine gift, and still that light she lifteth o'er all the earth to shine. It is the golden casket where gems of truth are stored. It is the heaven-drawn picture of Christ, the living word. It floats like a banner before God's host unfurled. It shines like a beacon above the darkling world. It is the chart and compass or life's surging sea. Mid mists and rocks and quicksand still guides, O Christ, to Thee. O make Thy church, dear Savior, a lamp of purest gold, to bear before the nations Thy true light as of old. O teach Thy wandering pilgrims by this their path to trace, till clouds and darkness ended they see Thee face to face. Because the point of the work is not to write it down. The point of the work is to point us to the relationship of God. Does this make sense? Mm -hmm. There's a lot going on in today's lesson. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being engaged. Thank you for staying awake. You did a good job. So let's take a couple minutes and do our prayer requests at our tables. We've got breakfast buckets at each table. Please pitch in a little there to help fund our breakfast. Uh, Thank you for coming. Uh, Pray as a group, and then you are dismissed. Thank you so much.